on today's episode, celebrating our 100th podcast episode. Woo! Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. God, I'm pumped. It's It's been um, a year now of pumping out, on average, probably two episodes a week. And so the 100th episode kind of came quickly. I did have a podcast prior to this. You probably know the Everyday Running Legends where I was doing weekly episodes and just took so much longer. Well, obviously twice as long. And yeah, it kind of snuck up on me and um, thought I would do something different, thought I'd do something special just to celebrate, and I am pumped to to show you what I have planned for today's episode. Um, a trip down memory lane, I think the, the podcast itself, I started it because I wanted to, first of all, align with my business of, you know, helping runners through online physio, but just coming up with another avenue to, I guess, just educate runners to make smarter decisions. We all know this, I've said it several times before, but just trying to create another avenue to um, to serve or to fulfill the mission that I'm on because I do love helping runners and I do love educating runners. And yeah, uh, the, the trip that we've been on so far, it's only just begun, but it's made huge inroads and I'm so happy with the, the outcome and the response from everyone who's listening and the success that it's gathered in the last... 12 months. I know uh, when I first started, I was extremely nervous to be the one delivering the information. On the previous podcast that I did have, I was just the interviewer and everyone who came onto the podcast was the one delivering the info. I just need to sit back and ask the right questions and yeah, just took it from there, took a real passive role in podcasting. But then switching and reversing, doing a lot of solo episodes. I was extremely nervous. But for you guys that are listening and encouraged me through the way, I I guess I built more confidence. And yeah, I, I keep thinking back to the mission that I'm trying to serve and who I'm helping. And it it's really helped steam a lot of momentum for me and just keep a lot of passion ignited. So yeah, and since then, 100 episodes later, I think, well, I, I have some stats here. I just I thought I'd go through um, Libsyn just to, as on this 100th episode, thought I'd cover a few stats. So the total download so far is very close to 89,000. The 
most amount of downloads I've had in 24 hours has been 984, so close to the 1,000, which I'd, I'd hope to get to. I think I've had three days where the total downloads got to 980-something. So um, hopefully soon we can crack that 1,000 um, downloads in 24 hours. The most popular episode is obviously, no surprise, episode number one, which has racked up 1,846. And uh, people have stuck through. I think consistently we're getting over 1,000 listeners per episode now. So the ones who are sticking to the podcast, they're continuing to listen. And all of you guys are listening to almost every episode because the download numbers are very consistent. And yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's almost serves as a bit of um, confirmation that the podcast is needed and the podcast is delivering really good information. So I'm really pleased and really proud of the the stats that I'm seeing. Uh, it's reached 75 different countries in terms of rankings for Australia um, as a trending running podcast. Throughout December, we were number one ranking three days in a row, which is outstanding. I think all time, being quite new to the podcast, this being like less than 12 months old, um, the most, like if you go to the all time rankings, I think I have peaked at number eight uh, in Australian running podcast, which super pumped about. I'm looking to climb that as we go through. I think with the US trending um, over the last maybe three months, there's been more and more downloads in the US. It's actually surpassed the amount that is in Australia. So really pumped with you, American listeners. Thank you very much for listening. And we have peaked at number three as a trending running podcast in the US. So super, super pumped and only just early days for, well, what I'm envisioning anyway. This is going to be a very long-standing podcast. And best of all, like stats aside, the best of all that I love is that I've built this community, like you guys have joined to this community and you're interacting with, um, with me and giving me feedback, giving me encouragement and what you're loving, what you're not loving. And within the Facebook group now, like today at time of recording, we've got 835 people that are, uh, engaging and just absorbing the content and the podcast episodes, the blogs, everything that I release in there. So we're all learning together. My lovely patrons, which are now 31 and growing, uh, it was actually the patrons that came up with the idea of this podcast, this how we're going to celebrate the 100th episode. And you guys just keep steering me in the right direction uh, with the podcast, where we should take it, what episodes we should do. And hope you guys are loving the exclusive content that I've been delivering to you guys as well. Uh, so the idea of today's episode was to put together a bit of a trip down memory lane, a bit of snippets from past episodes, what I have learned a lot from, and the the most impactful, I guess, the ones that have been the most favorite, the most downloaded, and a lot of snippets for you guys to take away. And speaking of snippets, a few people have managed to um, send me like a minute long snippet of what they've learned, what their favorite episode was, and we'll continue to deliver that in small little um, snippets throughout this episode. And I first wanted to start with a trip down memory lane as my first ever podcast interview. And that was with Rich Blagrove. 
and he is on episode number 14. He was he is a lecturer of physiology and a leader in musculoskeletal strength and conditioning. It's within the strength and conditioning season and we talk about um, how to practically implement strength and conditioning into your running routine, into your weekly routine. Um, he's a leader at the Lothbrough University, strength and conditioning coach, got a PhD in performance and health for runners. He is the author of one of my favorite books, Strength and Conditioning for Endurance Runners. And here is a snippet of us talking about how structuring, how you can structure strength and conditioning sessions into your running week. So particularly if we've got somebody that's running maybe three or four days a week um, or at a, a, a more elite level, they don't want to drop runs out of their training program. Um, we need to look to try and find, okay, where can we add the strength training to the program, which isn't going to compromise the running sessions too much. And so um, if possible, I would try and add, add the, uh, the strength training sessions um, separate from the running sessions with around about six hours recovery or more, if possible. And so that's kind of running in the morning and then trying to do a strength training session in the evening, if possible. Um, quite a lot of runners like to do their strength training on an easier running day. So it doesn't kind of interfere with, with harder, um, like tempo type running sessions or interval type running sessions, which is completely fine. Um, and other runners prefer to do it on their harder days. So they kind of adopt what I would term a sort of polarized approach to the week where you have very hard days which include your harder running and your strength training sessions, and then very easy days, which are essentially just a slow, easy recovery run um, in order to get over the, the harder day's work. Um, and I guess the third approach, and this is something that I've, I've used with uh, several recreational runners quite successfully, is to actually not treat strength training as two individual sessions through the week, but split it up into smaller training units and so work for about 20 or 30 minutes every single day of the week instead of two like one hour sessions for example and so if we split it up like that it suddenly becomes a little bit more manageable and so for those runners that can't train twice a day and do a run and strength training they just have to do their run have a little recovery and then go and do some form of, of strength training um, every single day of the week if we go back to that um, the other scenario you're talking about when we're doing um, two or three strength training sessions and you're suggesting an idea of uh, doing a run and a strength session within the same day, um, yep. you would recommend doing the strength sessions later in the day after a run or does it matter if they swap and do the strength training in the morning, wait six hours and then do a run later on that day? I think for somebody that's just starting out strength training, it, it really doesn't matter. Like the most important thing is that runners are engaging with it. And so, like, if it's dictated by their lifestyle that it's better that they go to the gym in the morning and they prefer to run in the evening, <clears throat> I wouldn't have any problem with that at all. Um, in more well-trained athletes, so athletes that have perhaps been doing strength training for years and years, we do probably need to be a little bit more scientific about it. Um, but still, if the main goal is to get fitter for running, I would still argue that it's probably better to do a run first in the day and then the strength training session later in the day, particularly if that run is has got to be of a relatively high quality. Yeah, that makes sense. And for those who decide to do a strength 
or combine their strength training on an easy day compared to combine their strength on a hard running day. Uh, is that just a trial and error? Yeah, I think so. And again, this, the, the research evidence around this is is pretty weak. So we haven't got any kind of consensus um, with what the, uh, the scientific evidence is, is telling us. Um, and I think it sort of makes logical sense that if you've got two or three really hard sessions within the week, so some sort of hill sprints, some sort of interval training session, some kind of race pace type tempo effort, then doing anything else on that day, which is going to make you tired, um, doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, and so if people prefer to do it on an easier day, like that's completely fine. Um, so they do their easy run. And then the priority on that day is to do the strength work. Um, I've, I've, I then kind of played around a little bit. And this was more with, with the elite athletes that I was working with, who obviously don't, um, they only have part-time jobs or they don't work. So they've got much more time to recover and to choose when they're, they're going to do their sessions uh, within the day. So we played around, like you said, through, through trial and error more or less, with trying to do the, um, the strength work a few hours after their, um, their hard running session. And for, um, for those runners, it seemed to work quite well. And so they're able to recover quite quickly from their hard running session in the morning, go to the gym, do their strength work. And quite often they would do another run in the evening. And then they adopted that type of polarized design through um, the whole training year. And so it was kind of, it is sort of trial and error. And as I said, I think with recreational runners, it ends up being dictated a little bit by lifestyle, by access to uh, facilities and so on. And so when you take those sorts of things into account, it ends up being a kind of individual decision based around what's, what's best for that runner. Well, hey, Brody, this is Joel. Wanted to say congrats on the 100 episodes. Being in Melbourne this year in lockdown, I reconnected with running and got a lot of joy out of that. Uh, obviously, along the way, I picked up a few niggles. And when I found your podcast, it was so helpful just working through some of those and changing my mindset and learning so much along the way. Whenever I had an injury, I, I felt like I was so ahead of the game. Even when I headed to the physio, just understanding what was going on and the adjustments that I could make in my program. Uh, I think a favorite episode would have to be episode 49 with Jason Fitzgerald and when he said run at a pace that you would be embarrassed to be seen by a friend and I think that was just such great advice to learn how to slow down and uh, look after the long-term plan rather than the short term of just trying to run fast. So thanks for the pod, mate. Really enjoy it and uh, all the best for the future. So there we have it, a snippet of my first ever interview on this podcast and I thought what would be a really nice transition is to get a snippet of one of my most popular episodes ever. It's not the most popular right now. Um, I think episode number one and a few I think a few others um, take the crown but this was early in the early days. This was with Mareka Lowe on episode 33 and she talks about proximal hamstring tendinopathy and Mareka is a um, sports physio, um, a musculoskeletal physio in sports injury management and is a qualified health coach. And when I put out this episode, it was insanely successful. It was probably my number one by far for a good six to eight months of the podcast. And I thought this would be a really good opportunity to um, say thanks to Mareka for coming on and to, I guess, celebrate the success of that particular episode. So here's a snippet now. Here is Mareka talking about 
rehab and for tendon loading doesn't necessarily need to be for hamstring in general because within this snippet the principles that we learn can uh, we can take away from any tendon and any injury management so let's take it away Mareka. Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Okay, so you've, you've talked about making sure that the tendon itself is not undergoing too much pain during the exercise. You want to go through a certain range of movement just to that point of discomfort, maybe back off a bit before then, but you might be able to find that you can apply quite a heavy load through that range and get that same amount of discomfort. And that can be quite encouraging for people to start mm. lifting slightly heavier, but it is on a individual basis and it will be on a uh, symptom dependent basis. Am I right in saying that? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Any other points with um, exercise choice? Um, just that, Technically, there really aren't any exercises that's bad for it. It's just about implementing it at the right speed and in the right way. Um, because I've, I've also, I need to go revise some of my videos because I've had people say, I saw that you said that deadlifts are really bad for it. So I've stopped doing it and you go, oh, I really don't think I said that. <laughs> but probably <laughs> the way that I said it, it may have come across like that. Yeah. So, and it comes down to, Yes, deadlifts compresses the tendon, but you want to make it used to it eventually, but at the right level. Yeah. Some of the um, like low-level hamstring tendinopathies, if I have a strong runner that comes into the clinic and I have a look at their capacity and they're getting a high hamstring tendon pain, but you look at their strength and they're actually quite strong and symptoms are actually really mild, the first thing you could do is probably compress it. The first thing you could do exactly. is probably take it through some deadlifts. Um, I like this. I don't know what they actually call it. It's kind of like a Nordic hamstring drop, but you're just flexing at the hips and yes. you're just like dipping like a dipping bird um, can put a tremendous compression through that tendon. But if someone's really mild symptoms and really strong uh, can be the, can make all the difference and can actually re return them back to running really, really quickly. So like you yeah, said, and it you all know, depends. That actually is exactly what I was trying to say with the last point of my, with my first point where I said that you must make the tendon used to the compression because if you get those runners who's gone through everything, but they still have that mild pain and you look at their program, they often don't have any exercises in there like the deadlifts that compress the tendon. And that's why the pain is still going on. And if you just make that change, you're absolutely right. Then they get back to running. Perfect. Okay. Let's move on. Point number three. Um, it's about dosage. And this is something that I love the, the line you used in your second podcast about tendons, where you said, deciding how many times you should do an exercise and how often it's, it's more an art than a prescription that you can, can prescribe to each person, Definitely. because it is absolutely an art. You've, you've got to take every person recovers at a different rate, depending on your age, you're going to recover at a different rate than what you did before. Females, depending on our hormone levels, we recover at different rates. So it's really important to look at where you schedule your exercise. And then also, if you're still running and you're running quite frequently in the week, where you schedule your strength training with re 
in relation to the running that you don't overload the tendon because tendons do take longer than muscles to recover. So if you're doing heavy strength training, they usually need 48 to 72 hours to properly recover from that. So you've got to think about the training you do after that. Otherwise, you'll just add to cumulative overload. Um, so that's a really important point that please don't look at somebody else's rehab, what they're doing and try to mimic that because it will very likely not be the right thing for you. Yeah. And a thing I can add to that is like when it comes to a tendinopathy, it actually, the severity is on a spectrum and mm. you can have just these really low load reactive tendinopathies or you can have a really um, severe degenerative tendinopathy. Someone who's um, had it for quite some time is really painful so that will depend or that will affect the dosages as well. And um, we were talking about Tom Goon before and he has a really nice saying, it's always, um, it's always about uh, reasoning, not a recipe. And so yes. there can't just be one dosage for an individual um, and it all just takes a bit of trial and error. I found in the practice, we sometimes had um, newly qualified physios shadow us and then they would ask me, so why did you do that? <laughs> I would stand still and go, I really don't know. I just felt like the right thing. And then you'd have to stand and think, why did I do that? What was my clinical reasoning behind? And then you go, oh, yes, it's because this person was like this. And then you realize that there are so many decisions that go through your mind with regards to sensitivity of the tendon and everything, like you said, um, that, yeah, there's never two patients who gets the same thing. Hey, Brody, Mark in upstate New York. Just wanted to say thanks, man, for everything you do for the running community and all the great information that you put out there. Been running almost 20 years, and I've listened to a lot of different running-related podcasts, and yours has become one of the solid core that I listen to. I just finished going back and listening to every episode. Can't get enough of it, man. Really loved this whole month of recovery-themed podcast from you and i really liked the one episode about knee osteoarthritis because i discovered that i had that this year anyways hope you have a great year new year in 2021 and congrats on the 100th episode can't wait to hear it can't wait to see what you bring us for the new year take care man changing gears a little bit now i wanted to see Okay, there was the first interview, there was my most successful interview. I wanted to acknowledge and almost celebrate an episode uh, right now from Jeff Cragen. It was on episode number 48, and it is the interview that like went most out of my comfort zone and was something I knew nothing about, but I ended up receiving a lot of positive feedback from this particular episode, and it's helped a lot of people, and Jeff was on... It tied in really well with the pain science episodes that you guys are familiar with, but he shares his story around having crippling pain and being told that uh, it's incurable and he's going to deteriorate for the rest of his life. And he's found a way to go from this crippling pain to being fully healed. Um, he's got this YouTube video, he's doing backflips and everything. And on this episode, we talk about the components that are included before symptoms spiral out of control, what someone might tell you, what you might tell yourself, and um, certain aspects that need to manifest before 
um, they haven't experienced such as what Jeff describes. And so, yes, it's out of my comfort zone um, a little bit because there's a, a more of a holistic kind of healing approach to it, not necessarily science driven, which is what I gravitate towards, but like I said, was a resounding success and had a lot of positive feedback. So here's a snippet here on episode 48 with Jeff Cragen. I have done a couple of pain episodes in the past where I've tried to uh, get these runners who are listening to this content aware of the pain science and where um, the pain science is leading to because there's a lot of misconceptions out there. And like I I just said before, like 100% of the time, the signals and the pain and messages are all coming from the brain and the brain thinks that it's helping. It's helping in some way, whether that be consciously or unconsciously to you. And when you were going through this, when I was watching your video, there was a few alarm bells that was going off in my mind. And the first one being when you're talking about you went and got scans, you went and saw a doctor, the doctor gave you this diagnosis and this prognosis of what this um, ailment progresses into and what your future would look like. And listening to that myself and my understanding of pain science, there's no wonder that your symptoms started to get worse from there because the messages you were receiving and from a trusted doctor and looking at all these scans and seeing that everything's going wrong, that can just set the brain off to be like, Oh, something's really wrong here. And then send um, or amplify those symptoms. And I just thought I'd uh, ask what, was your experience like after dealing with the revealing of the scans and talking to the doctor it, with the increase in symptoms, how soon was that sort of developing? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, man. You just, you just gave me goosebumps uh, to bring me back to that because it was such a pivotal turning point in the journey that I was on. Um, so I always say that we need four things in order to take on a new belief system. We need one, a power of authority, uh, such as a doctor, a chiropractor, physician, someone to tell us something is wrong or something needs to be fixed. Two, we need a heightened emotion such as fear or um, some kind of emotion that is basically the anchor to what this power of authority is telling us. Uh, Three, we need an image or mental image. And we can get that by Googling all of the symptoms that we're being told we have or the disease. Uh, or we can get it by being shown an x-ray or an MRI or a CT scan. Uh, and then four, we need a, we need repetition or consistency. And we get that by repeated going over and over and over to the doctor or going back and back forward to the physio or the chiropractor or whatever, by reconfirming that something is structurally wrong so that we continue to try to fix it structurally, which strengthens neural pathways in the brain, that this is a physical ailment and not an emotional experiencing experience causing a physical disturbance in the body. So for me, what happened was uh, I went to the um, rheumatologist and they took a blood test and told me that I had this genetic autoimmune disease and that there's no cure and that I would possibly be in a wheelchair. I wouldn't be able to do a physical activity the same anymore. And from that moment, in my experience, there was something that just triggered in me. And I just said, 
no, sorry, that's not my fate. And then he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, listen, I'm going to find a cure for this and I'm going to, to heal this in my body. I've been a physically active fit guy my whole life, ate well, take care of myself. And it just doesn't happen like this. There's something more to this. And then he said, well, even if you do find it and because I, I said to him, uh, I'm going to find a, find a cure for this. I'm going to bring it back to you so you can help other people with it. And he said, even if you do find it, I can't use it because it's not part of my protocol. So right then and there, that was the first really turning point of going, okay, you're not looking to fully banish this. You're looking to treat it and keep it under a Band-Aid and not actually look for the root cause. So, but to answer your question, what had happened after that, was my symptoms got way worse. I started to get uh, heart palpitations. I started to get like plantar fasciitis, like uh, tendon pain. I started to get um, uh, knee pain, joint pain. I started to get headaches. I started to get osteoporosis in my feet randomly. I was allergic to 90 different foods, uh, like foods that you would just be like, what? Like I would eat spinach and curl over in pain because it was so bad. And it would happen out of nowhere. And I was like, what? Like after, after the diagnosis, things got so much worse. It got to the point where I was hobbling home in an alleyway and my whole body just like collapsed and fell on the, fell on the, uh, the cement. And it was quite, uh, quite intense. And, you know, looking back on it, I don't blame the doctors and I don't blame them because they didn't know any better. If they did know better, they would do better. Um, but I do want them to take responsibility and be very careful and aware of the words that they use. Because when they use words like incurable and it's, there's no hope, you're not giving your patients permission to heal. Hi, I'm Jill Riva from Sturgeon Falls, Ontario, Canada. And episode 88, Give Yourself Permission to Heal, had the most impact for me. This episode resonated with my heart and my head as Jacqueline's story reflected my own journey of rehab, insight, self-reflection, and discovery when I developed posterior tibial tendinopathy last winter. My biggest takeaways are the power of beliefs and their impact on recovery. My beliefs around running through pain and seeing a physiotherapist would mean an end to running delayed my diagnosis and prolonged rehab. Now I look at my rehab, strength and conditioning exercises and running program with positivity and celebrate the small wins. This episode also provided a first person account around understanding body awareness, not hypervigilance, calming the brain and pain science. A niggle is simply a niggle to be aware of. Low-level pain with running is okay, and self-monitoring for flare-ups at regular intervals is critical. Lastly, challenging my fear of re-injury with winter running has been a huge hurdle for me. Brody and Jacqueline were bang on in saying that as you become stronger, more confident, and positive about running, the brain shifts its focus. I no longer run with fear or anxiety. I am present, mindful, and enjoying the movement of running. Thank you both for this powerful episode. It wouldn't be much of a podcast episode 
pulling together some of my faves if I didn't include J.F. Escoulier. He is one of my top favorite running physios of all time. I think him and Tom Goom, are the they share first and second um, position. <laughs> and uh, he was my first ever mentor, or the first ever running course that I went to. You are probably familiar if you've listened to his episode number 52. He is a physio. He has a PhD in running injuries. He is research. He's the lead researcher at the running clinic and is an assistant professor at the University of British Columbia. He is, uh, so he's French Canadian. He is um, just a wealth of knowledge and loves talking about this stuff. And I've learned so much from him um, for, for the last couple of years. I think it was probably about six years ago I first attended one of his courses and I was delighted to have him on. I was so pumped to interview him. And so he has to be in today's episode. And so here he is talking about pronation and the type of shoes you need. Do we make a correlation between the amount of pronation someone has and the level of support they should have in a shoe? Um, not at all. Um, and, and that's uh, also a very common belief that if you're pronating, you need more support in your shoe and you would need motion control shoe. That strategy of, of recommending shoes is is pretty much everywhere around the world. It's actually been invalidated by a few studies. Uh, in those studies, what they did, um, they basically assigned shoes based on foot type. So if you had a flat foot or pronating foot, you would be assigned a motion control shoe. And if you had uh, what people tend to call a normal foot, which I think is, is a bit of a strange <laughs> term, but you would get a stability shoe. And if you have a canvas foot, then you would get a neutral shoe, right? So different levels of support for different types of, of foot. Uh, but the other group uh, were prescribed the same shoe regardless of their foot type. And uh, the results in those studies uh, is that there's no difference in injury rates. So basically recommending shoes based on foot type does not uh, make sense from a scientific point of view. It doesn't, it doesn't help to prevent injuries. So I think you know, people need to be aware that um, it's not because they, they pronate that they need more support. And um, also sometimes you'll go to a running store and, and they'll look at your running and they'll say, oh, you, you, know, you pronate and they'll put on a, a motion control shoe and they'll tell you, oh, you pronate less. But um, you know, the issue is that they're looking at the movement of the shoe and not the movement of your foot within the shoe because the shoe will maybe collapse a little bit less, but your foot inside the shoe will do exactly the same thing. So it's, it's, not, um, it's not a relevant uh, tip or a method of assessment that I would recommend at all. Cool. And I think it's worth mentioning as well, one of the main revelations I had when um, studying your course was if you do have a lot of pronation, then your body adapts to that pronation. Your, uh, your tendons, your ligaments, your bones will, um, as long as you allow it enough time and enough load to 
for that adaptation process, then your body would just almost just get used to it. That's a key point, Brody. I mean, a lot of people believe that pronation is bad and that flat feet are bad. But in the end, if you look at the research, I mean, there's no evidence to say that flat feet will lead to more injuries. And again, it's something that I travel around the world to teach and I hear that everywhere. It's just ingrained in people's mind. But there's no link. There's no research suggesting that if you have flat feet or if you pronate, you will get more injuries. You can adapt to that. The structures of your body will get stronger and, uh, and it's not true that you'll be more at risk of injury. Hello, hello. Brian from Rosser Runs Podcast and YouTube channel. I'm calling all the way over from the East Coast, United States and Pennsylvania. Just recently found the channel and found that the episodes are perfect size to download and listen to during my workouts. I don't have a particular one that is my favorite since there is so many topics that actually fit my profile. From running economy, to recovery, to even back pain, it looks like I could relate to mostly all of these topics. Right now I'm listening to Jake Lowe and goal setting, and I'm taking notes and having a good time. So I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to reach out and congratulations on 100 episodes. I've learned so much from the Run Smarter podcast. In particular, I've loved the episodes on pain science. The part that stuck with me the most was a lecture clip played about the snake bite and the stick. I think about that constantly when my back sends me pain signals, helping me realize that this is just a warning sign and not another injury. Thinking about pain in this new way has helped me look at my niggles in a whole new light, giving me freedom to run and do strength work without the level of fear I once had. Thanks, Brody. We're finishing off our last podcast episode snippet by reflecting on, well, me reflecting on what I've learned the most within a particular interview. And two, th- two interviews or two moments in the podcast jump out at me. One was just the overall recovery month reflecting on, I guess, the importance of stretching, massage, using devices like foam rollers and massage balls, those sort of things, but for different reasons. they Because I am, you know, science-driven and follow the research and none of those prove to have much benefit, but throughout recovery month have learned that they have so much other benefits in terms of winding down the brain, giving yourself time to relieve stress and if you believe it is doing you of benefit then that's a benefit in itself um, so that was the one that is one of the two that sort of strike me or come to mind but I didn't want to play one from the recovery episodes because they're quite recent another big one was my interview with Chris Brammer and he's at episode number 61 and Chris I should probably talk about Chris he's a um, PhD physio lecturer at uh, Salford University and a running injury researcher, particularly around 3D running gait analysis. And I learned so much from his interview and I've put together a snippet and here he is talking about the different influences of strength on running technique. From my understanding, it seems that someone if someone was to have a hip drop or like their their knees are cutting in and brushing against each other, it seems like strength 
doesn't do a whole lot to change their biomechanics once they get back to actually running. And if someone is injured, let's just say they have knee pain or hip pain and we take them um, off the treadmill, we strengthen them up, we put them back on the treadmill, they feel a lot better because what they're doing is increasing the muscle capacity rather than actually changing biomechanics. Is that, um, would I be saying that correct? Or do you have another view? So uh, I have mixed views on that. So the first one is generally with a lot of strengthening that we do from a physio perspective is, yeah, you're right. We don't necessarily change the biomechanics of someone. All we do is get the, the, the tissue structures more robust to, um, to cope with um, what you're going to do to it. What I always say to people is like, we're going to make you str- so strong you can just run through brick walls because effectively that's what we are generally doing with a lot of strengthening. However, you know, science would say that if we change strength or we just look at strength, it doesn't necessarily relate to someone's biomechanics, which is true, but there are relationships and how strength influences mechanics is a lot more complex than simply saying A plus B equals C. Strength is one aspect that I feel is necessary for you to be able to produce a movement. If you don't have the baseline strength qualities, I can't expect you to then use that muscle group to perform a function when you go out to run. Because at the end of the day, you need strength to overcome the forces that are applied to the body. So a minimum amount of strength is necessary. But what we're finding, and some of our research is currently trying to look at these complex patterns between how strength and biomechanics interrelate. And what you really find is that there's huge amounts of um, varying influences that can make this like picture appear. So a, a nice example here would be if somebody's got a really weak hip, that might not change their hip mechanics because what they might have gone out and done is self-optimize their step rate and really increase the cadence. So now the strength requirements that they need around that hip are lower and they can function perfectly fine. So your strength and your naturally adapted cadence are two factors that might influence the overall outcome. So, you know, to avoid going into much more complex um, discussions on that, I think a minimum strength is required, but it's amongst a whole topic of, or amongst this multiple interactions between different aspects that then influences the biomechanics that are output. Hey, Run Smarter audience. This is listener John from Milwaukee, Wisconsin in the U.S. I'm thankful that I discovered the Run Smarter podcast and excited for the 100th episode. I've learned quite a bit from Brody and the guests on the podcast that I decided to make the leap to the patron group. Patron listeners gain access to exclusive content, which is where I found my favorite lesson so far, the effects of aging on runners. As someone who will turn 40 next month, I found this episode especially engaging. A few of my favorite points in the episode are as follows. How to manage load and be mindful of proper rest and recovery as I age. Common problem areas for aging runners, especially hamstring problems, which I personally struggle with, and how to prevent them with better strength training and cross training. And finally, how one can slow the reduction, the natural reduction in their VO2 max by continuing to run as they age. It was quite helpful to gain a deeper insight and understanding into how the body changes as we get on in life and know that running can remain a part of our lives as long as we're a little bit smarter about it. A big thanks to Brian, John, Jill, Sam, 
Mark and Joel for submitting those little snippets, sending your love and support. Um, like I said at the start, it's the community that keeps that passion going. I do have one more to play and it's last, but certainly not least. It's actually my favorite in a biased sort of way. My lovely girlfriend, Megan, has surprised me with a, a clip. She just sent it um, a few days ago. She is actually a big fan of the podcast and recommends it to all her running friends. And she's also watched every online course video that I've ever done. She's participated in the five-day challenges that I've created, the quizzes, and is also one of my guinea pigs when it comes to testing out uh, anything that I need to publish before I actually do publish it. So she makes sure that everything's running well and everything looks okay and gives her stamp of approval before it gets released. And so a big thanks for your support. I love you to pieces and thanks for your message. Being a physiotherapist myself, whilst I treat a different patient population, I found the first 10 episodes to be very helpful. The fundamental principles that we learn at university and then potentially push to the back of our minds as more complex concepts arise. Refreshing those basic principles has helped me in treating my patients, but also like many health professionals, I tend to ignore my own advice when it comes to managing my own injuries. So those fundamental principles help to whip me back into line um, and help build my running ability. So thanks, Brody. Although if I'm honest, my favorite moments in the podcast are more sentimental than anything else. Those rare moments where I get a mention prick my ears up just a little bit more. And I just love hearing you share your passion by educating and helping others. I'm so lucky to have your advice whenever I need it, but I think it's fantastic how your wonderful listeners get to benefit from your knowledge and wisdom with just the click of a button. Congratulations on 100 episodes. And there we have it, finishing off our 100th episode. Hope you guys enjoyed. There's tons of takeaways in there. And I guess, uh, what do I have planned for the future? Um, I guess in the next uh, couple of months, well, definitely within the next couple of weeks, I'll be releasing a Shockwave episode with Benoit Matthew. And I might do it in a two-part series because it went for quite a long time. And you guys will love that. Uh, I am planning on doing another pain series, but doing interviews and guests. I have Tom Goom as a um, potential guest. Hopefully, fingers crossed, that gets underway. But yes, another pain series will be uh, underway. Hopefully it all is created the way I have planned. Um, there will be another section on stress fractures and I've just got a ton of guests. I've, I just counted now. I've got 15 guests on standby uh, with all different topics and um, aspects that I think you guys will love. Um, so if you guys have any other ideas, if you want to reach out on social media, usually Facebook and Instagram is where most people gravitate towards. Um, I'd love any um, bits that you love from this episode or past episodes or what you want to hear in the future or any different ideas that you might have for the future. I know my sister suggested one just yesterday and we might go ahead and do that as well. Uh, so yeah, that that's going to be the way moving forward. The mission is always going to be exactly the same. The passion is going to be exactly the same. And hopefully we um, can do another one of these in episode maybe 200 and we can go through the stats and the success and... Um, hopefully it is a huge success and exceeds even my own expectations. 
once again, thank you. Thank you for submitting your snippets. Thank you for your feedback. Thank you to all of my guests that are on that still listen to the podcast. And yeah, thank you for helping me celebrate 100 episodes. Thanks once again for listening. To take full advantage of the knowledge you are building, you need to download the Run Smarter app. This contains all of my free access podcast episodes, written blogs and ebooks, along with my paid video courses, all neatly housed into categories for you to easily navigate through and find content you're interested in. Also, be sure to check out the show notes for links to the podcast Facebook group and links to learn more about becoming a podcast patron who contribute five Aussie dollars per month to get Inner Circle VIP access, including an invitation into the exclusive patron Facebook group and a complete back catalogue of patron-only podcast episodes, which you can access within the app. Also on the app, you can even find a link that takes you to my online physio clinic, where I assess and treat runners from all over the world, so I can be on standby if you ever need one-on-one physiotherapy assistance. Once again, thank you for listening and becoming a Run Smarter Scholar. And remember, knowledge is power.